Genesis chapter 37. And again, we're going to you know, look at some various verses in Genesis 37. Last week, we looked at Joseph as a, a model of character. A model of character. Tonight, we're going to look at Joseph as a, a privileged kid, if you will. And we'll look at the privileges that he had, uh, a couple of them. But um, we can clearly see those privileges in a couple of things in Joseph's life. First, when he was a teenager and living with his father in his father's house. Verse 3 here in chapter 37 tells us, notice, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made a tunic or a coat of many colors. Verse 3 says it was a coat of many colors. Now, the Hebrew translation means a long-sleeved coat, a tunic or a robe that went down to the ankles. This, these coats were highly, highly colored, brightly colored, but they were often just white with some fancy embroidered trim in all the right places. And the coat was a sign of rank. It was a, it was a coat that meant you were somebody. It signified that they were just, you know, uh, they signified that they were somebody important. And it was a sign that the person wearing that coat was an overseer or master. It wasn't a coat of the common laborer. And by Jacob, his father, giving Joseph this coat, his father was clearly saying that Joseph was to have the privileged place of authority or supremacy over his brothers in the family chain of command. Now, this authority or prominence would be different from family to family. But normally, it would be at, it would be at least uh, to, to be the firstborn who was next in line to take authority of the family. So that being the case, why wasn't Reuben, who was the firstborn, given that coat instead, you know, and, and not Joseph? Well, the answer would be because of the character of Joseph. The purity, integrity of of Joseph. Joseph had character when his older brothers didn't. Now, Joseph's character was a reason as to why Jacob, his father, gave him the coat. And why Jacob loved Joseph more than the other sons. Notice again in verse 3, it says, Because he was the son of his old age. Now, this partiality or this favoritism that Jacob showed for his son Joseph is often frowned upon today and criticized as being unhealthy for the children and unwise and harmful parenting. But Jacob's affection was something much more honorable than just favoritism, than unjustified favoritism. Joseph's godly wisdom and character is why he was given the coat of many colors. But as you would expect, giving the coat to Joseph... It didn't go over very well with his older brothers, even though they didn't have any reason or right to complain. Reuben, the oldest, through incest, had forfeited his rightful place as the firstborn. The other nine brothers, they weren't any better. Jacob, their father, couldn't trust any of the other sons. They may have had talent. They may have had seniority. But that wasn't good enough because character was missing. He was lacking character. 
And it was because of Joseph's integrity that he deserved the coat of many colors. And Jacob, his father, was wise to choose Joseph as the recipient of the family's leadership. Jacob, again, like God like Jacob, also places purity um, as a most important quality for the privilege of high service in his family. We see that in 1 Timothy 3, 7 and Titus 1. It says, it emphasizes this fact. 1 Timothy 3, 7 says, Moreover, he must have a good testimony. And this was, again, qualifications for a leader. He must have good, a good testimony, you know, on the outside as well as in the church. Talent is useful. Longevity and seniority, they have their place. And popularity, you know, it gains votes in church elections. Now, I don't know if in your past you've ever uh, attended a church where they have uh, congregational elections. And I, I went to a church like that. And the congregation would choose on the leaders, would choose the leaders of that church. Now, again, if you, if you, had, if you had talents, you know, and, and you, you were there for a long time, you were one of the founding members, you would, get, you would most likely get voted in as a leader. But again, those aren't the, the things that you, you vote for somebody as to why you would pick them to be a good leader. God says character. Character is the most important qualification for church office. A lot of church problems wouldn't exist if church leaders were chosen according to God's standards in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and, and, and not man's standards. Again, too many churches have brothers like Joseph that are in important positions. But the godly Josephs are rejected because again, they're not founding members. Or they don't belong in the clique. Or they haven't been around long enough to suit uh, the carnal church members who are more interested in position than integrity. And more, more uh, uh, you know, uh, excited about privilege than performance. Isaiah said in chapter 61, verse 10 of Isaiah, he said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Because of his salvation, the heavenly father gives the believer a robe of righteousness. And this coat or this robe like Joseph's is truly a beautiful coat. And there's no coat more beautiful because it's the beauty of holiness that we have in Christ's robe of righteousness. The psalmist said in Psalm 29 too, this robe exempts the wearer, all right? This coat exempts the wearer from labor, but not service. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that might sound like a contradiction, that, you know, uh, this robe exempts us, exempts us from labor, but not service. But you see, when you're serving the Lord, it's not labor. It's a work of love. You do it out of love. It's not a burden. I want to do it because of what God has done for me. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul said, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love. And as Joseph, 
uh, Joseph's robe speaks of rank, so does this robe of righteousness that we have in Christ. Because Peter said we are a royal priesthood. And we will rule and we will reign with, one, with Jesus one day in the millennium. The robe of righteousness clothes us appropriately for the position that we receive through Jesus Christ because of our salvation. We see an example of that in Matthew twenty-two eleven through 13 about the parable of the king who invited the wedding guests. Jesus said, but when the king came in to see the guests because they were given special clothing to show that they were, they were invited to the wedding party, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Behind, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, we are not going to get into heaven without the robe of righteousness that we have in Christ. We're not going to get in there on our own merit. You know, we're going to have to, again, have on that robe of righteousness that's in Christ. Another privilege that Joseph experienced is uh, that we see in chapter 37 was having visions or dreams. That privilege, the first one we looked at was the coat of many colors, showing that there was rank. He had rank. The second dream, the second uh, privilege is visions and dreams, which was telling of, the, of, his, of his future. Now, these were divine revelations that Joseph had, and Joseph was definitely privileged to receive them. You see, a lot of people, and I've heard over there, a lot of people claim to have dreams and visions. But we don't need dreams today, and we don't need visions, because we have God's infallible word. And God's word is far superior than dreams like the ones that Joseph had. Now, some people don't seem to realize this important truth. And a lot of people get more excited over the prospect of dreams and visions than over, than, than, than over having God's word. Now, Joseph was privileged in his day to have these divinely inspired dreams. But you know what? We are more privileged today to have his inspired and infallible word. First of all, the Bible exceeds visions in value in a lot of ways. For one thing, the Bible is way more detailed and it covers more subjects. Dreams are limited in the amount of revelation that they give. They don't give you everything. Secondly, the Bible is more trustworthy than dreams. Only the person who had the dream knows the vision. And this can make it hard for others to interpret. You know, I've had people who've, who've had dreams and they say, Pastor Joe, I had this dream and they tell it to me. What does that mean? I'll tell, I don't know. You had the dream. You know, I don't know what's going on in your life. It could, it could be speaking of something, but, but the thing, and I've had them tell me dreams and they were so excited, they contradicted what the Bible said. God is not going to give you a dream that contradicts what he has said in the Bible. Again, that's why that Bible, and one of the other things about dreams is that how many times in this, oh, I had a dream, and, you know, I don't remember all of it, but, you know, I remember parts of it. Well, what good is a dream if I don't know or remember totally what it was all about? So, again, that's the importance of the Word of God. The Bible, the Bible is out in the open for everybody to see. And it's out in the open for everybody to know. And it can be easily tested, and it can be easily proven. 
The third thing is that the Bible is more authoritative than dreams and visions. We use the Bible. See, we, we, we use the Bible to check the soundness of a vision, not the other way around. We use the Bible to check the, the, the authenticity of, of everything. You want to know if, if, if a dream that I had has any validity or, or might be, you know, uh, worthy of something? Go to the Word of God. Does it match what God's Word says? We don't take the dream to, to validate the Bible. Oh, the Bible is right on. It's true because my dream. No. The, uh, you know, w- was my dream based on the word of God? Fourth, the Bible is more reliable than a dream. As I said earlier, we forget dreams. The dreams become, become fuzzy after a while. But the Bible is the same yesterday, today, and forever it will be. The Bible never needs to be revised. It does not need to be changed. You know, in lieu of what, you know, the world says today, well, it was written at a different time, a different culture. It needs to be updated. We need to change. No, we don't. We don't need to change the Bible. The people need to come and get, need to conform to the word of God. That's what needs to happen. You can always turn to God's word and it will always be right. It will always be complete. Nothing fuzzy, nothing missing. In Jude 8, it says this, In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural things. They were having dreams. But they weren't living godly lives. They were defying authority, and they were laughing, mocking supernatural things. Now, let's check out Joseph's dreams. He had two of them. First, he had a dream about the sheaves. Or the bundles of grain that Joseph's brothers were bowing down to his sheaf. And his second dream was about the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to Joseph. Joseph had more dreams later on. Uh, And those dreams came in pairs, which emphasizes God's practice of repeating important truths. And when you read the Bible, and, and there's something that's repeated, you know, more than, you know, a couple of times, it's God wanting to get something uh, in our minds. It's something that he wants us to get. It's an important truth that he wants us to see. So when God report, re, uh, repeats things, it's not because God is forgetful. But repetition emphasizes the certainty of a truth that God wants to get across to us. Or he wants to give us a strong warning. In Jude 4, It says, so I want to remind you, Jude says, so I want to remind you, though you already know these things. Because we know how forgetful we are. God knows how forgetful we are. We see this demonstrated in Genesis chapter 41, verse 32. It says, and the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. The word established there is the emphasis on certainty. It's going to happen. God said shortly he will bring it to pass. So again, it was the emphasis on a strong warning. I'm going to do this thing. So divine repetition has at least two great values. It gives assurance of the facts that they're true. And it urges you to pay attention to the facts because they're true. So Joseph's dreams pointed to an unmistakable way it pointed to the uh, authority of, of, of Joseph, the supremacy of Joseph. First, his authority over his brothers. Second, over the house of Israel. Those were his, what his dreams signified. 
The message of the visions was the same message of the coat of many colors. Both of them pointed to the authority of Joseph's high character and his position. The coat of many colors pointed to the approval and the appointment of his earthly father, Jacob. And the visions pointed to the approval of his heavenly father, who gave him the dreams. So heavenly honor, as we know, heavenly honor doesn't usually result in earthly honor. In other words, instead it usually results in harassment and hostility. Joseph's experience was hostility from his brothers and his father because of the dreams that he had. And similarly, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus Christ, remember they were given great spiritual privileges and honor when Jesus gave them the word. And after their experience, uh, Joseph, like Joseph, Jesus had the same thing. Listen to what Jesus said in John 17, 14. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Isn't that true today? They hate the word of God. The disciples' experience was like Joseph's. When Joseph received the heavenly visions, man, his brothers hated him. When the disciples received the word of God, the world hated them. Now, Joseph's brothers already hated him to begin with because of the coat of many colors. But after his first dream, notice what verse 5 says here. It says, they hated him even more. Nobody likes, no one likes to be or wants to be hated, especially by their own family, you know, by their brothers or sisters or whoever. It hurts. But worse than that is the hurt that that comes by way of his own father. According to verse 10, it says he rebuked Joseph. That he rebuked Joseph. Now, the Hebrew word translated rebuked, it's a strong word. It means to scream at. Joseph's, uh, Joseph's father screamed at him when he talked to him about the second dream, where it said the whole family, everybody was going to bow down to him one day. And they thought, you're crazy. We never bow down to you. And so his father just sharply rebuked. He yelled at him, there's no way. So... Joseph's relationship with his father was always a good one. And by giving Joseph the coat, it it clearly, without mistake, signified that Jacob recognized Joseph's superiority. So for Jacob to to oppose Joseph, when his brothers also opposed him, that was like a double whammy. Man, my brothers came against me. My father came against me. Nobody loves me. And that always hurts more. Because it was opposition from an unexpected and surprising source. You would never think that that would happen. But many times it does. And especially for those who become new believers in Christ. You go home and you tell your parents, guess what? You know, know, I've come to the Lord. I'm a Christian now. And many times those who are closest to you are the ones that despise you the most. Because you've given your life to Christ. Some are, are, some are cast out of the house. They're, 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 they're blackballed and it just, they come against them. They've come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're, they're so excited. They're so overjoyed with, with being a believer. They, they know that God has come into their life. They, they love God's word. 
They love the, and are excited about the wonderful eternal future that they now have as a Christian. But their newfound joys and enthusiasm are quickly put down. And then they become the object of hostility, a lot of hostility and mockery. Oh, now you're one of those Jesus freaks. Now you're going to get all weird on us, aren't you? Like Joseph, they soon found out the most painful hostility is when it comes from their closest friends and their loved ones. And these attacks from those closest to them aren't just the most distressing, but they're also the most dangerous. Because nothing so tests our loyalty to Jesus Christ as much as opposition from our loved ones. Because it can have such an effect on us emotionally. Man, do I continue to, to be a Christian? Do I continue to go to church and, and serve the Lord? Or do I not? Because of the backlash I've gotten from my family. But you see, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ faithfully, you may have to go against the strong wishes of even a dearest parent or friend or loved one. Jesus said in John 14, verse 26 and 27 and verse 33, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Three times he says cannot. Now, let me make it clear. When he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father, wife and children. It's not literally hating them. All right? It's meaning that you must love me more. In the sense, when it comes to serving, because I may call you to the ministry. I may call you to do something that, that your family may not like. And, and, you know, your loyalty has to be to me in that sense and follow the calling that I put in your life. If I send you to the mission field, you know, and, and it may be da- a dangerous place. Naturally, your parents, your loved ones, they're not going to want you to go. And they're going to want to talk you out of it and say, hey, you know, are you really going to do that? And God's put a call and says, you know what? God's pulled that, put that call in my life and, and I'm going to follow that call. That's what it means by, you know, hating your mother, brother, sister, father more, you know, and, and, you know, and that's what he means about that. It's, it's not actually literally the hate. It says, I'm going to follow the call of Jesus in my life. And I know that you're worried and, and you care, but... I've got to follow this call. Some say that, that Joseph's telling of his dreams, you know, to, to his brothers and his father, it, it, it aggravated them. It made the situation worse. And, and some think that Joseph should have just kept these dreams to himself. But you see, telling dreams wasn't, it, telling the dreams to his brother wasn't the real reason for their hostility and their aggravation. The real reason was the message of the dreams that were given in verse 8 and verse 10. Plus, it was very important that those dreams were made known. Because, you see, if Joseph hadn't told them about the dreams that they had, when, those, when the fulfillment of those dreams happened, it wouldn't mean much. But you know, by telling them what his dreams were and how they were going to work out when it took place, then they're going to go, Wow. Joseph told us about that dream and, and all of the details, and it came to pass. 
But you, if you have a dream, you don't tell anybody, and then it, it happens. Oh, man, I had a dream about that, and it really came to pass. Well, anybody can say that. But that's what aggravated Joseph's brother, the message of the dreams. And so it would have had no significance if Joseph wouldn't have told him the dreams before they came to pass. But telling about the dreams like he did made the fulfillment of them when they did come to pass just the justifier of Joseph's person and of God's power. It justified it. Joseph is also accused of not having any tact in telling his brothers. And this is blamed for the aggravation as well. But if that was really true, or if that was really the problem, more tact would not have stopped the irritation. It would not have stopped the annoyance. You see, many times there is just no way to simply break the truth to people, no matter how carefully you tell them, no no matter how thoughtfully you plan it out, then you're not going to keep the critics quiet because they're just hostile towards Jesus Christ. The truth will always upset them. No matter how careful you are, no matter how tactful you are in telling them. Paul realized that in Galatians 4.16 when he was talking to the Galatians. He says, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The contradiction is that Paul became their enemy by telling the truth and that the Judaizers became their friends by telling lies. Why was their affection turned off to Paul? Paul said, because I told you the truth. You see, preaching the truth doesn't always make friends. And it will probably make more enemies than friends. And some preachers compromise the truth in order to keep people and to keep friends or to get more people. If if that's what people want to hear, they want to tell them. But error is often received more enthusiastically than truth. They have itching ears. Tell me something I want to hear. Tell, Tell me something that makes me feel good. Right? And the speakers of error are often more appreciated than the speakers of truth. And that we see that many times in Scripture. We see that in the world. So the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams are seen in the later chapters in Genesis. It does come to pass, and we'll see that as we get further in the life of, uh, of Joseph. But we see that Joseph's brothers did bow down to him, just like he said in his dream. And Joseph was over all the house of Israel when Israel was in Egypt. Again, he spoke of that in his dream as well. It came to pass, just like it said in his dream. Men tried their best to stop the fulfillment of these dreams that Joseph had by mocking his dreams, by causing Joseph to end up in slavery and prison later on. And sometimes it looked like God's predictions, these dreams that he had, would never come true. You know, you can imagine Joseph, again, when he was, he was mocked and he was treated with disdain, he spent time in prison, he spent time in slavery, he would say, Lord, what are you doing? The dreams that I had, well, are they going to come to pass? Was I mistaken? Did, did I mess up? Because many times that's what we do when we follow the will of God. And then we start to experience the, the attacks of the enemy. Lord, did I misread you? Did I mis- make a mistake? You know, have I, done, have I done wrong? But again, that will never happen because when God gives you his word, you know, taking it as wrong or, or, or you know, it, it being failing, it will never happen 
Because as it says in Joshua 21:45, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. We see in 1 Kings 8:56, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all of his good promise which he promised through his servant Moses. Isaiah 55, 11, God says, My word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall pro- prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Jesus said in Mark 13, 31, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. We see several times in the word of God, hey, it's never going to fail us. And that's why, again, it's so important to know the word of God so that when things look bleak and dark and hopeless, you'll remember verses like this and say, hey, wait a minute. God's word will never fail me. It will come to pass, as God said. These words that we read in the scripture, they're more than just, they're more than just a sentimental saying. It is the infallible, irrevocable word of God. Now, Joseph's brothers went 60 miles away to Shechem to find pasture for Jacob's flocks. Now, Jacob, Joseph's father, then called Joseph, Hey, I want you to go out and find out where your, where their, where your brothers are. Verse, notice, verse 13 of chapter 37. Notice what it says. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So so Joseph said to him, Here I am. Now, when, when Jacob sent Joseph to look for his brothers in Shechem, some have wondered, why would Jacob do that? Why would Jacob send Joseph to check up on his brothers? Was that a good idea? First of all, Shechem was a long trip. It was about 60 miles away. And he was going to go by himself. Also because of the hatred of his brothers. I mean, they really hated Joseph. And, and by sending Joseph by himself this long distance, it would seem to give his brothers a really good opportunity to do him harm. And naturally, they did. They took advantage of this situation. So Jacob's decision to send Joseph to to Shechem was justified, though, because his brothers were a bad bunch of guys. So Jacob said, notice again in verse 14, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along. Jacob was worried about his sons. And of course, he had good reason to. Not only because of their their bad past but also because of whatever they had done recently that joseph had bought a a bad report to his father now according to genesis 34 shechem was an evil place jacob had moved there because god urged him to get out of there so he was right to send joseph to check up on them and because of jacob's age it would make it hard for him to go down there personally to check up on the boys and the flocks to do it himself. So he did the next best thing, and he sent Joseph in his place. Because Joseph was young. He was physically much better able to travel than his, father's was, his father was. So it made good sense for Jacob to send his son Joseph. And again, the duty of checking upon the family and the flocks fit the coat that Joseph was given by Jacob because he was the leader of the family. 
Joseph had been chosen by his father as the one to oversee the family. So it was now Joseph's job. Joseph was the next one to rule the household. So you could say that the coat made the choice official. He was wearing the official coat of being an overseer. Sending Joseph to check up, check up on the family and the flocks was good training for Joseph for his soon takeover of leadership in his family. And this trip could give him good experience that would help him uh, in the future when he would take over the family leadership. So it was in Joseph's best interest to go down there and to make the trip. Now, looking back, some would say, well, maybe sending Joseph to check on the family and the flocks wasn't the smart thing to do. But you see, the trip can still be easily justified for good reasons. First of all, to go and check on the well-being of his brothers. When Joseph went to check on his brothers, as his father asked, it took a lot of character. There was a lot about what he had to do that would be pleasing to the flesh. You know, he could have put on that coat and said, okay, I'm going to go down and see the boys and see how they're doing. And, and, you know, just get all puffed up because he was the leader of the family. You know, he could have become very prideful. But Joseph didn't. And he did his duty very commendably. When Joseph was called by his father to go and to check on his brothers, he responded according to verse 13, here I am. Here I am like a submissive servant. And again, this connects a lot with what, like we, what we were taught this morning about submissiveness. He said, here I am, Father, like a submissive servant. You see, it showed that Joseph was ready to submit to the call of his father, just as we should be ready to submit to the call of our father when he calls us, when he sends us somewhere, when he calls us somewhere, when he, when he calls us to, to, to come or to go or to stop whatever we're doing. Joseph was a good servant. And servants, service starts with submission. It starts with submission to the master. A lot of people want to be leaders. But in order to be a good leader, you, learn, you first must learn to be submissive. You need to learn to follow instructions before you can become a good leader. Christian service starts with submission to the Lord, to Christ. It starts with submission to the master. And there aren't a lot of people that serve well. Why? Because they won't submit well. And many who complain about not being used in service have only their lack of submission to blame. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Why? They're not committed. They're not submitting. And so God does not choose them. Or I should say he doesn't use them. Can you do what the Lord tells you to do that's one of the most important qualities of being a servant submission to the master you will be used by god when you learn to submit to him submission involves humility joseph's eager response to his father was here i am it wasn't like yeah here i am dad it's here i am it proved his humility He didn't let the special coat that he was wearing and his authority and his leadership of the family, he didn't let it go to his head. He didn't let it puff him up. Many times position and authority, it puffs us up. But the position that Joseph was given hadn't puffed him up with pride. 
Pride and rebellion go together, but pride and submission doesn't. Humility is what works with submission. To do what Jacob told him to do, Joseph had to leave his comfortable home in Hebron. Here's another thing. Sometimes, like I said earlier, when God calls us out, it may be to to an uncomfortable place. It could be to a place that it could be dangerous. You know, there could be a lot of inconvenience, some, some sacrificing to do. Joseph, when he was, was asked to go to check on his brothers, he had to go to an evil place. He had to leave his comfortable home in Hebron. He had to travel about 60 hard miles to Shechem. This would take a lot of time, a lot of effort and a lot of inconvenience. And especially in those days, because traveling was a lot more difficult than it is today. Joseph would have to give up the, comfortable, uh, the comfort and the pleasures of his home. But Joseph was willing to pay the price to do this for his father. And we see a good example again of us being, being servants. Are we willing to pay the price to do what the father asks us? If we're going to do what our heavenly father asks of us, we'll have to do like Joseph. And maybe there's some sacrificing involved, some inconvenience, but too often we get put out when it comes to service because it's at an inconvenient time. I've made other plans or whatever it might be. Now, when Joseph got to Shechem, his brother, and here's the thing, when Joseph got to Shechem, his brothers weren't there. He could have said, you know what? Gone back home, his dad, they weren't there. I don't know where they are. But he didn't lose heart. He didn't quit and go home. He kept on looking for them until he found them. And he found them about 20 miles away in Dothan. You know, this shows the commitment, the quality of commitment that Joseph's character had. And that was an important reason why he ended up on the top in spite of the many adversities that he experienced. Joseph never gave up. Joseph wouldn't quit. Joseph remained dependable through every circumstance. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 4.2, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful, committed, loyal. And Joseph certainly was all of that. And you know what? We can be too. You might not have the great skills that others have, But you know what? If you can be dependable, God can and will use you. And you know what? God values dependability more than ability. You know, I I remember, you know, when I used to work, some of the the best and smartest employees, you know, if if they missed a lot of work, what good does it do? They're not there to do it. But God values ability. He he wants somebody who's going to make them. God will give you the ability. But if I'm not there and I'm not dependable, what what can God do? God values a, a dependability more than ability. Joseph also had courage to do what his father, uh, Jacob, asked him to do. And he showed his courage in a couple of ways. It took courage for Joseph to go where his father sent him. Because, you see, they hated him. The hatred for him where he was going was very strong. 
And Joseph had to go where his brothers were and, and, and how they hated him. So it would take an unwavering heart, a steadfast submission to his father to leave the place where he was loved to go to a place where he was hated. It doesn't take a lot of courage to live for Jesus when we're surrounded by people in a place where it supports you. Where courage is required is when you're surrounded by the ungodly, the inconvenient, and the sacrificial. Then being a faithful Christian requires a truly courageous faith. If you have trouble confessing Jesus in front of godly people, you're not going to do well confessing Jesus in front of the ungodly in the world. Joseph showed his courageousness also by daring to wear the coat his father gave him when he went to see his brothers. Can you imagine? The coat alone, without him saying a word, would probably just raise the hair on the back of their neck. I can't stand that guy. Now, he didn't wear his coat because he was prideful. He wore his coat in order to be proper. You see, the coat represented his position in the family, but it would take courage to wear it. Because you see, it was a source of animosity with his brothers. Oh, here he comes, the dreamer. It would be like the bullfighter waving the red cape in front of the agitated bull. But you know what? Joseph wore it anyway. So this is a needed lesson about, again, and it, it, it coincides with the message this morning. This is a needed lesson about appropriate dress for Christians today. Putting on Christ. Being a good witness to the world around. Christians should dress like Christians and look like Christians. And, and not so much really as much in the clothing because the clothing doesn't make the Christian. It's being clothed in the robe of righteousness in Christ. When people see me, do they see Christ? What do they see? Galatians 3, 27 says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ. That's what it means. Putting on the character of Christ like putting on new clothes. So Joseph's brothers recognized him even though he was still far away according to verse 18 here in chapter 37. They saw him coming. They were probably able to recognize him, no doubt, because of his colorful coat. So in closing, can we be recognized by others because of the coat the robe of righteousness, Christ's righteousness. Do they see that? And that's the question we, ask, we need to ask. What do they see when they see me? Without even speaking a word, the way I move, the way I act, the way I interact with people. What do they see? Do they see Christ? Or someone like everybody else? Father, we thank you again for this uh, wonderful book, Lord, this wonderful chapter and, and story on Joseph, Lord. And help us to learn from Joseph, Lord. Father, as we go deeper into his story, we'll just see, we'll see many more things that he encountered, many more agitations, much more hostility and hatred, God. False accusations, false imprisonments, Lord. And it just seems, things just seem to get worse for him. 
as he continues in his faithfulness to God. But in the end, we will see what it was all for. God had a great plan for Joseph. And many times on our way to get to that great plan, God has to take us to the school of preparation. So Lord, help us to understand that and hold that that truth in our minds, Lord. That we must be prepared to take on those, those places and those circumstances, God, that you want us to deal with. So Lord, we thank you and again, help us to grasp in our heart all that you teach us, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.